everyone, and welcome to episode 636 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcast. I'm Todd, along with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? It's not episode 716, is it? No, I don't know why it would be 716. That's the time code that I wrote down where I have to do my edit. Oh, well, at least you only have one time code written down, Joe. Oh, that matters. So how are we doing? I'm doing good. I'm excited. I'm ready to talk about uh, comics, ready to talk about comic books, and uh, I'm ready to talk about uh, whatever we got on the show. Since you're starting the show, you have to tell me what we're talking about, right? All right. News? Uh, Jimmy Pistol's statement on the future of DC's TV shows and movies? Um, Also... Creator and comic companies' disputes, and personally, I think one of them could be easily rectified by the co- the companies taking a picture of themselves in line at the bank. But that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, conventions, what we read last week, which was uh, Batman 130, Fantastic Four number two, and the final issue of the Dual Power Bomb, which would be number seven. What we're looking forward to this week. Todd and Joe have issues. The battle for second place, a.k.a. Todd and Joe go rogue. Um, And finally, at the end of the show, spoiler-filled talk of not the season finale, but the series finale of Stargirl, Joe. A sad day in comic book TV. Yeah, we can get into that. I'm, I'm excited and sad to talk about it, right? I am, too. So Yeah. So let's get into um, the comic book stuff first. Right. So it started over the weekend. Um, comic book artist Will Robson, uh, who's worked on a ton of stuff for uh, Marvel and Image and Boom, amongst many others, uh, took to social media essentially complaining about him being late to be paid for stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially just kind of laying out his situation. And obviously everybody's situation is a little bit different. Right. Um, you know, when he writes or draws a book, um, you know, you, you send in your first like five to ten pages and then you receive payment a few weeks after that. And then once the book is done, you receive a little bit after that. And then he's now talking about there's books that he completed in the summer and it's now the beginning of December and he hasn't been paid for them yet. Right. And he reached out, he put this out on social media. He didn't name names or anything like that. Uh, but he did, um, ask some other, uh, creators, uh, to share some of their stories. Um, you know, some saying, Uh, You know, we're running on six months, we're running on a year, waiting to be paid on stuff. Um, There was a lot of allegations um, thrown at Valiant in regards to covers that people did, that it was like six months ago they got no payment for. Mm -hmm. Um, Bleeding Cool, who's usually on top of these sort of things, reached out to Valiant and got no response, you know? Always a good sign. Always a good sign. Um, but it's crazy to see like creators getting stiffed by anyone, let alone big companies. And a lot of it is like, and listen, and if they're putting their stuff out on main, then we're going to talk about it. You know, um, there's a creator who's like, Hey, there's a publisher that owes me 
um, you know, $1,500. That $1,500 is two months late. Um, by this time next week, the total they owe me is like four grand. And listen, I, I've kicked rocks with people over 12 bucks, you know? Yep, yep. Uh, I've cut people out of my life for $35. <laughs> but when you're working and you're expected to be paid a certain amount of money for the work that you do, it's like once you submit that work and they publish it, like technically the publisher doesn't even really need to pay you, right? Right. I mean, because if you at that point, what are you going to take them to court for twelve hundred dollars? Right. Like by the time you pay your like lawyer fees and everything, you're not making any. And I think that's a big part of why you know they can get away with it. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. on Valiant's end, there's a lot. Of, I saw a lot of people talking about Valiant. Valiant's down to publishing one comic book a month. Right. I don't think that's company. That company's long for this world. You know what I mean? So. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we're ever getting that Quantum and Woody TV show, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, China, you know, out of China, like whatever. But uh, so I get it. But you were talking about the four to five pages thing. I guess it's because the definitive Colonel Sanders artist only ever like he did work for some of the smaller companies over his career. He's mostly been at DC. Um, So he gets paid after he's done or like whatever like because he might be two months behind on getting paid for a job but if you have a job every month you're getting paid every month if that makes any sense so i i never really heard about the four to five pages thing which i guess would be a more of a small company thing because you don't want to get in too deep with some of these guys you know what i mean but you're afraid to say anything because then if you're that guy then you don't get work from here on out and there's tons of people willing to like take abuse to get their foot in the door um i don't know it's just it's just a sketchy thing but it's always always been around joe right and then um as this was coming out uh the comic book writer zach thompson came out um and essentially just came out and put the whole story out there right okay um, essentially saying that he had a book that was published through Aftershock Comics called <laughs> The Brother of All Men that Aftershock went, and again, we don't know what the uh, the legalities of their contract or whatever it is, um, but Aftershock went and optioned the book uh, to be made into a TV show without consulting with him, the creator of the book, and it's been three years and he hasn't been paid and he says that he's owed tens of thousands of dollars and he is actually taking them to court. Well, when you have that kind of money, Joe, right. not, not, not you have that kind of, you have that kind of money at stake. That's a different thing. Cause like you said, even at $4,000, the one creator's like, Oh, Valiant owed me 1200 and soon I'll be at 4,000. It's like, well, like what a lawyer costs per hour. And then like, blah, blah, blah. But when you're talking about a TV show, rights. That's fighting money right there. Right. And so, and then the other thing about this is, and we'll get like, you know what? And I'll finish up the last story as well, because this story that we had covered uh, before in regards to Action Lab comics, where a bunch of the people weren't being paid and all the creators were getting together to do a class, class action suit. And the publisher came out and said like, hey, you listen, the pandemic kind of hit us hard. A lot of our stuff got you know got held up in shipping and they they had good excuses and they claimed that they were going forward to make good on stuff but then when the free comic book solicits came out for 2023 one of their bigger books this book called princeless by a creator jeremy whitley 
so Action Lab puts the thing out and it says, we're kicking off the 10th volume of Princeless. Princeless is back and we're going to give you the first chapter for free. Jeremy Whitley's like, well, wait a minute. You guys haven't paid me for the stuff that I turned in in two years. Now going on three years, you're telling the public that the 10th volume is kicking off. I only finished one issue of the six issue series and you've never contacted me to finish any more of the book. Right. So it's such a weird situation when you see stuff like this happen. You know what? Obviously we say smaller publishers, but you know, what is a small publisher? What is a big publisher? Like, you know, anything outside of Marvel and DC, you could argue is a small publisher, whatever. Right. I would say anything after the, after image DC and Marvel, uh, between them and the top 10 books. Tep- okay. 10 companies, I mean, that's, those are small companies. And then after that, you're, you're holding the wall companies. They, yeah, whatever. But and God, you know, we, you and I read a lot of the big two books, you know, and we do dabble into some of the other publishers, but typically when we do, it's because it's creators that we found from the big two and we go and we'll see stuff that they did before and then stuff that they're doing after or during their Marvel and DC work. Yep. You know, we, we could sit here and argue, and I, I would say that if Bush came to shove and you said, are you a Marvel or a DC guy? I think both of us would say that we're DC guys, and DC's got enough problems the way it is, you know? Right. I could go... But, uh, go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just I could go down that DC Marvel road. That's a whole nother time. But, because I was seeing a lot of that online recently about, you know, I'm a DC guy and I'm a Marvel guy. Yeah, I may be more DC but I read Marvel too. It's like, it depends on the years. DC was better than Marvel. I read more DC and some years Marvel was better than DC. And I read more Marvel. I will not. I I just, it drives me nuts that somebody would cut off a whole world of comics because it's not their company. I'm doing air quotes as hard as I can right now. So, but yeah. Right. And there was a period of time where like, you know, and obviously some of my other pop culture, whatever is, is wrestling, but I was never the guy that bought, like, let's say, the ECW logo T-shirt. I would always buy the shirt of the wrestler, you know? Right, yep. I'm more of a creator person. I'm going to follow that creator to the project that they go and do. If Even if it's, you know, to a company that I don't know, it's going to be tougher for you to follow because they don't have as high of a profile as a Marvel, of a DC, an image, a Dark Horse, and so on and so forth. But once I find a creator or creators that I like, I'm with you for life. If you're self-publishing stuff out of your basement, I'll figure out a way to get that book from you. You know, you you have to mess up hard once you yeah. have your loyalty. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm the same way. Once in a blue, blue, blue moon, Joe, I'll be looking through the previous catalog and I'll be like, I don't know who this writer is, but your blurb, your concept, your whatever uh does it i can't remember the name of the comic and i will say this do you remember the one comic it was about a sexually transmitted disease that made you look perfect is that ringing a bell at all is that an image book i think it was and they they ended up uh soliciting the first issue with a condom yes like a like a thing or whatever and the the headline was blah 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 about the condom but like the 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 whatever the the idea of the book, I was like, oh, a sexually transmitted disease that makes you look like like you lose weight, but whatever you're you're a you become a ten. I'm like this concept. I'll read this, 
And I ended up reading it and I really enjoyed it. But that's how, like, that's the one outlier that occasionally will happen. But I'm like with you, like, it's like, oh, like so-and-so wrote this book and I love it. Like, Tinian, I'll give him a chance. Like, any of them, you know, uh, Kirkman, Brubaker. We have our list. Kyle Starks, you know. Right. Uh, the book was called Beauty. Yes, that was it. That was really good. Yes. So we're talking about DC and uh, not DC comics so much, but DC movies was uh, in the news uh, this week. Uh, as Hollywood Reporter put out a story um, stating that uh, Jimmy Pistol, a.k.a. James Gunn, and Pete Safran's plans for the DC universe going forward um, would not include uh, Wonder Woman, Gal Gadot, Henry Cable, Superman, Dwayne Johnson, Black Adam, or any of the lingering uh, Snyderverse stuff, right? Right. So this is what the Hollywood Reporter thing says, okay? So James Gunn comes out and essentially is like, some of it's true, some of it's half true, some of it's not true at all. Uh, some of we, some of it we haven't decided if it's true or not yet. Right. Um, first month has been fruitful. Building the next ten years takes time, and we're still at the beginning. Um, and then he says the drawbacks of the transitional period were uh, dwarfed by the creative possibilities and the opportunity. There's that word to build upon what we've already established, right? Mm-hmm. And fix what hasn't been established. Um, and he just says, for more answer the future, I'll sadly have to ask you to wait and be patient. We're hoping to give these characters in the story the time and attention that they deserve. We ourselves still have a lot more questions to ask and answer. Now, I will say this. Jimmy Pistol has been putting out on his social media lots of imagery from Kingdom Come. Right. Be, take take from that what you will, okay? Right. Read into that what you will. He also put out the first movie poster for the upcoming Blue Beetle movie, right? Right. So, you know, obviously, it's one thing for a story like that to go out in The Hollywood Reporter, okay? It's another for James Gunn to come out and be so forthcoming and honest and try to, like, address what the story was, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and before after you comment on this, I hope you saw the latest in regards to all of this. No, I didn't. Okay, so I I I mentioned this only trepidatiously because it's not from um a site that I'm aware of. Okay, it's from a site called CultureCrave.com. Okay. So, in between the Hollywood Reporter story coming out and James Gunn coming out to address what was in the Hollywood Reporter thing, okay? A bunch of information comes out saying that the reason that they're not moving forward with Black Adam is, is because Black Adam lost money on the whole. Even internationally, it lost money, okay? Okay. So then The Rock comes out, and again, let me see if I can find The Rock's tweets, because, you know, The Rock is always... Uh, listen, I like The Rock. I like Dwayne Johnson. He seems like a nice enough guy. Uh, but he, he also feels like the most gotten to person of all time. <laughs> wow. 
See, I thought you were going to go down the road with Gal Gadot and uh, Patty Jenkins, was it? So Yeah, well, okay, so what'd you see in regards to them? Go ahead. That, now, that, not that they're not going to go on with Gal Gadot, but definitely, now, how, how, you know, I use definitely in what I heard is that Patty Jenkins is out as director and writer, that they hated her script. Right. So, like, I, because let me say this I cannot see them walking away from Gal Gadot, but I can see them walking away from the writer and director after how maligned Wonder Woman 1984 was. Right. So, we'll see. Okay. So, um, Hollywood Reporter has the thing that Black Adam is set to lose uh, between 50 and 100 million. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Deadline hears from The Rock's production company that uh, it had a global gross of $390 million and it only cost $200 million to make. Um, and with the um, post-production advertising, that's another $100 million. So right. not a huge profit. But it looks to be between fifty and seventy million profit. Again, not a blockbuster, but mm-hmm. not a loss. Okay, right. And don't get me started on what I th- that I think the advertising budget should not be part of anything. But that's well. You know. it, uh, so once movies like once oh boy, once we started getting into real blockbuster movies, and honestly, real blockbuster movies. Um, we could go as far back as Terminator 2. Um, you know, I would you want to go, go as far back as Batman, the Tim Burton one. I would go back as far as Jaws. Okay. Because Jaws so, is the movie that started it all, that this is where the blockbuster movies belong. Like the summer of the blockbuster. Okay. So summer of the blockbuster, I agree with you in Jaws. But the reason I point to a movie like Tim Burton's Batman is comparatively, did Jaws have the same marketing presence that Tim Burton's Batman did? No. Well, you know what? I will defer. Okay, see, now I think you're picking the wrong movie because literally Batman, for most of it, all it was was, hey, here's the bat symbol and right. the date. And then, like, how much could that have cost? They didn't have a but, whole bunch of trailers for but, that movie. But you saw that bat signal and date everywhere. Right now, th- this so, is where I get into that. It's of the mind of okay, yes, maybe you're paying for billboards, yes. but are you really paying for the back of comic books and in the magazines that that Warner Brother owns and when their commercials are on their TV channel? But what you are paying for though is okay. I'll, I'll, we'll take out billboards. We'll take out commercials. We'll. What about the toy license? What about the Happy Meal tie-ins? What about the exactly the the cereal? What about the this? What about the whatever? Right, and, right, and like, go ahead, sorry. So Batman was really the first one that had that, and everyone else pretty much copied it after that. From uh, the like the failures, and listen, this is the first time I'll say this into a microphone publicly. Dick Tracy, uh, mm-hmm. Rocketeer. Then it hits again with Terminator 2. So all of these movies have that in common where they have that marketing blitz. They have the toy line. They have the the, the, the fast food tie-in. They have the, you know, all this other stuff on top of it other than just your billboards, your magazine ads, your print ads, your commercials, right? 
Right. Would you go back as far as to say that like the second and third Star Wars movie? Because Star Wars didn't have it, but Empire Strikes Back by that point has so all this stuff. Here's where. Um, so I'm going to only put those movies as an asterisk only because when it came to those movies, it wasn't the proliferation that you saw after Burton's Batman. Because okay. then the only movies that you would see it at the time were those Star Wars movies, which were only once every three years. It started to pick up a little bit, let's say, with like the Indiana Jones movies. But to but like way the Indiana extent, Jones yes. movies didn't have the cereal, the toys, the fast food, the this, the that, the other thing. Right. And there weren't any other movies that I can think of from that 80s period, like E.T. maybe, you know. Right, Reese's Pieces, that's about it. But Right, yeah. but that's, it's one thing. They have one thing. Where the reason I say now, once the Batman movie started, when you would read your trade papers, your varieties, your entertainment weeklies, your whatevers, since Batman came out, they would always just kind of say as a rule of thumb, whatever they say the budget is, approximate that, you know, a part of that is that advertising because that's what goes into making the movie, right? Right. You know, that'd be like saying like, well, listen, the budget of the movie was X, but we did a bunch of test screenings, which cost money. And we found out from the test screenings that X didn't work. So we had to reshoot that. Well, that's a different, like that's that, that now is your budget has been inflated now, you know? Yeah. Because you have to like do a bunch of extra stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So, Back on track with The Rock, back on track with him, uh, the the, de the deadline article from The Rock's production company talking about, you know, like all these different things that like it gets the 300 million worldwide. It has like The Rock's biggest, um, you know, in, like domestic first day opening and all these other things. Right. So then it comes out from this other website that I mentioned before. And again, I mentioned this with like an asterisk, Culture Crave. I'm not familiar with it. It a, Warner Brothers is claiming that The Rock um, gave Deadline false information. Why would he do that? So that the story is out there that his movie didn't lose money. Oh, okay. I got confused on which one it was. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. He's he's given false good news. I thought you were like he was the one who was tanking his movie. But anyway, no, no. Believe me. As much as I love The Rock, as I mentioned, there is no more gotten to person in the world than The Rock. When he did that Baywatch movie that bombed, right? Right. He spent a weekend fighting with people online, like trying to. Um, uh, what's the word I'm trying to look for? Convince them? Not trying to convince them, but trying to make excuses for why it had, even though it had a bad opening weekend, and even though the reviews are bad, and even though this, at the end of the day, it's still going to make money, right? Right. It's still going to be a successful film. He spent an entire weekend fighting with people online over it. So when the word comes out that because of the poor performance of the movie... Hollywood Reporter says it's not going to be included in James Gunn's things going forward. Deadline puts out a story filtered through the Rocks production company saying, actually, it did make money. And then this other site, Culture Crave, comes out and says, Warner Brothers is looking at the numbers and they feel the Rocks production company gave Deadline false information to try to whitewash the story that the movie is actually successful. 
Right, right. First of all, though, when it comes to Baywatch, any movie with Alexandria Daddarino is never a flop. But, I don't know who that is. Oh, you you would know who that was if I showed you showed you her. Um, but uh, I look at all this, and I, we get we get into the weeds. And I don't want to back into into it. I am one of those that anybody comes to me with budgets and what a movie makes, and I go full Joe Sposto and go go pound sand because there was a time when. When Sony came to Stan Lee and told him the Spider-Man movies didn't make any money. It's like, oh, they didn't make any money, so we don't have to cut you that check. It's all, it's like in the rare times when it like you like it's a true flop, but when it's close, I'm like, they could fudge those numbers yeah. any way they want to get whatever results that they want for the tax man slash who they gotta pay. It's all creative bookkeeping. Exactly. Exactly. And I'll just say this Alexandra Daddarino lady mm-hmm. in most of the pictures that they have of her, it looks like she's got crazy eyes. Crazy blue eyes, deep, deep blue eyes. And if you want to watch if you want to see her at the height of her powers, watch her in True Detective season one. Everybody who's seen it knows exactly what I'm talking about right now. I know who you mean, Todd. Mm-hmm. That's all you had to say. Okay. But anyway, it's going to be an interesting time. Uh, Jimmy Pistol has got himself a kettle of fish that I don't think he knew that he was dealing with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just hope that it ends up being that we get The Rock dressed as Black Black Adam taking on John Cena dressed as Peacemaker at WrestleMania this year. Right. I, you know what? I would actually watch that. But the most important thing is that he keeps giving thumbs up and posts uh, stuff about Jonah Hex. Because I'm going to take that as gospel, Joe. Right. Every time that he he tweets anything positive about uh, Jonah Hex, I print that tweet out and I frame it. That's right. I'm going to have a collection. I'm going to put them all on my wall, Joe. Mm -hmm. So that's what we got in the news. Um, It's getting to be the end of the year. Uh, The death storm of snow is going to hit the northeast this weekend, possibly, as you're hearing this. Um, So the conventions are going to lean up a little bit. We do have Big Apple Comic Con this weekend. Right. That was the one that would have had the dinner and drinks with the Rob on the roof of the hotel. Right. I think earlier this year. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, it didn't happen. Well, again, this this uh, this weekend uh, and Nascenti, Jim Steranko and the entire Clerks three crew is going to be there. Oh, we can't run our opportunity, Joe. That's right. We can't run our Navy SEALs opportunity. (laughs) I think if we pitched the Navy, if I got an audience with Kevin Smith, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of those guys that were in the original Clerks were friends of his. But if we got an audience with Kevin Smith and we pitched doing uh, the Navy SEALs guy at conventions a la Gallagher and Gallagher 2, right. I think he'd give us our blessing. Dante lives around here. He might be our in. Well, listen, listen, Dante seems like a nice enough guy, but we're going to go to the we're going to go to the horse. You know, we're going to go to the right. Well, I mean, he could get us to to Kevin is what I mean. Eh, I don't know. Kevin's another guy who's very gotten to online. I think we could tweet it at him if we really wanted to. That is true. I still have to see Clerks 3. So, you know what, Todd? I think you're okay. Don't tell me what I have to see and what I don't have to see. I'll make my own decisions. You do that. (laughs) You do that. <laughs> right. 
so hey, uh, the links for uh, Big Apple Comic Con will be in the show notes with the episode, uh, along with information about uh, Soon to Be Named Network at Soon to Be Named Network dot com, Soon to Be Named Network dot com. Anytime any of the shows in the Soon to Be Named Network go live, you could find out about them there. Uh, sure, you could just subscribe to them through your podcatcher, but then don't come complaining to me when it's three days and the show hasn't come up on your fifth-rate podcatcher. You can go to the number one-rate podcatcher, which is soon to be named network.com. Uh, and that's for all the shows, as mentioned, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, uh, Final Wrestling Place, At Odds with Wrestling, We Need Wrestling, Porch Talk, Wings on Wings, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Argument, Hit My Music, and I think that's everything, right? I think so. Uh, also, anytime anyone from the network goes on any other shows and they let me know, we'll make sure to put that uh, up at the website as well. I was just recently on uh, If You If You Catch My Grift. Uh, Austin and Dustin were nice enough to have me on to discuss uh, Media Bon Vibon, uh Alex Jones. Who, uh, you know, he's always in the news, but in the last, like, week or two, he's been, like, extra in the news, you know? That's right. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Definitely go check that out. Uh, I, I know a little bit more than comic books and wrestling, you know? Not much, but a little. No, not much. Um, you can also check out some of our other friends. Uh, Kevin Hellions, his blog over at MassLibrary.com. Uh, Mike Sterling over at his blog, ProgressiveRuin.com. Rick Williams over at FreeKarateChops.StoreEnvy.com. Uh, he's got a bunch of things that look like the old school muscle figures, you know? Right. And uh, he's got them that glow in the dark. He's got pins. He's got stickers. He's got the whole Megilla over there. Check him out. Uh, check out longtime listeners of the show, super fans of the show, Jason Sandberg and Chris Runt, both who put out self-published comic books. We have the links to those books in the show notes as well. If you do not have a comic book shop in your area or you do not have a good comic book shop in your area, let our comic book shop be your comic book shop. Comics on the Green, we have their social media Facebook linked up there. That's where Dave and the crew do most of their social media, when the books are in, what the new releases are, what the hot pre-orders are, so that you do not miss out. We can only cover so much here. Dave covers everything else there. Sign up for this mail-order subscription service. Get your stuff mailed to you weekly, bi-weekly, monthly. And if you do, there's a chance that our good friend Becky will make a fancy sketch on the package for you. You can go check out her social media to see her prints, her process, and I'm going to keep hounding her every week until she puts together uh, some sort of collection of all of her stuff. I mentioned it to her last week, and she just exasperatedly said, I know, and walked away. That's her style. Right. So let's get into what we read from this past week, Todd. Where would you like to begin? I'm going to start with the book I was looking forward to most, which is Fantastic Four, written by Ryan North, art by Ivan Coelho, um, issue two. And it's also at like the first issue is a pretty much self-contained uh, one shot story in an over arc. Um, and after the cliffhanger of uh, last issue, the one thing was that the Fantastic Four are all kind of disbanded all around different places. I could say it now because it's been out a month. Is something happened and the Baxter building is now a crater in the middle of New York and people are blaming the Fantastic Four. 
So we don't know what that's about. We just know everybody's gone their separate ways. And this is Reed and Sue in this small town uh, having dinner in a diner. And Sue is relaying the story to Jen Walters. Um, And what I really like about the letter that she's writing is it's dear Jen, not she Hulk. Like she even talked about, I was like, I just want to, you know, talk to you as a friend kind of a deal. And I like that. And she's relaying the, the story. Um, and in this small town, they end up reading Sue end up realizing that everybody in this small town are camouflaged doom bots. Oh, but Joe sit down for this one. Their number one, uh, programming is not to destroy the fantastic four that's their secondary programming and what their first programming is and what it has to do with a little old lady who lives in this town is actually fascinating and read like and sue investigate it um because when the, this little old lady's not around like the doom bots are attacking them because they realize who they are and they'll like have holograms around them. And when, you know, they're out of shot of her, they turn back into the doom bots and they end up discussing things with this little lady and the mystery sort of like unveils itself and reads like, well, I got to put an end to this problem. And like of doom bots just running around and something with the little old lady and what her relationship is to Dr. Doom and he just like figures it out, but in a very out of the box way, like you just figure destroy all doom bots and like Reed has a different plan and it works in the story. Plus the way uh, Ryan North is writing Reed. I really like he's writing Sue as the most normal person you're ever going to meet, which is great. I love that. But Reed is a really watered down, likable Sheldon Cooper from the big bang theory who doesn't understand things like he's doing an interview with somebody and he's, he's got his face like camouflage using his stretching powers and he's like lying to the person and Sue's invisible. Like bless his heart. He doesn't know how to tell a lie. Like he's like, he has to go talk to Sue outside. He goes, I have to go answer. I have to go talk to my wife who's on my phone, who you can't hear because it's on vibrate. But I know it's her because of the, and she's like, just, just walk away, just walk away that. And he was in the, in the diner. He's trying to calculate the nutrients of a sloppy Joseph. She's like, no, no, it's a sloppy Joe. And I'm just like, I love this read. He's just a little off. And in the end, they're like, okay, now we have to kind of band together and figure out what went wrong in like the error that happened in, in New York. And maybe we should get the FF back together and all in all, I'm like, I've been loving this. And she even says, once again, this is a, a we're not fighting world shattering, uh, like universe spanning things. Like we're just trying to figure out this little mystery. And I'm like, that's what I love about this book. He has all the characters right so far. And it's not, Oh my God, what's going into the next big crossover? I can't tell you how much I love this book, but I don't know, you know, if everybody's going to love it the way I do because I'm a bit of an FF mark, Joe. Sure. And I will say I, I've not read as much uh, Fantastic Four as you have. I've read a bunch, you know, but it's one of those things where, like, it's a writer I like, so I'm going to follow them on the book. Uh, two months in a row, you've been selling this book. If I could pare down the, uh, uh, the pile as I have been these last several days. I'm definitely going to give it a try only because um, I think you would probably agree with me, you know, with the 
Fantastic Four, probably the toughest thing to get right is Reed Richards. Yes. Um, I think Johnny's e- like you could you could screw up all four members. Okay, it's easily it's it, it's it's been done. It's easy to do. Johnny and Thing are probably the toughest to screw up. Yes, and I would say Thing is tougher than Johnny. Right to screw so, up. Right. So in order, Johnny easiest to write. No, Thing, Thing is easiest, easiest to, write. to write. Sue next easiest. Reed probably the hardest. But Sue and Reed are kind of close in how difficult they are to write. Right. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, if you're going back to like the original feelings of the Fantastic Four is if you just make Sue like the normalest person you can in a good way, not to say make her boring, but not to make her over the top like the other three. Yes. Like she like, okay. So like you said, like thing is what he is. He's the sad monster who, you know what I mean? Wants to be cured, but he still has the heart of gold and will not stop fighting. Johnny is what he is. He's a kid. He's immature, blah, blah, blah. Like I said, you make Sue, like you said, you make Sue normal, but not in a bad way. She's just everyday, but she's remarkable in that she's the linchpin of the family. But Reed is usually unlikable because he's so like, he's off in his lab and he's ignoring the family. And like, I always say, we always said at the comic shop, things are bad when you, when you've seen that Reed has a stubble. Because he's like forgotten to eat and whatever. But this makes Reed like I'm like, I love Reed in this book. And when you can make me love Reed, everything else is a cakewalk. So anyway, I'll stop. I'll stop gushing, Joe. <laughs> no, listen, we're supposed to sell books on this show. You know what I mean? Right. right. So uh book I read that I was most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, was the finale of Do a Powerbomb, Issue 7, written and drawn by Daniel Warren Johnson. Uh, it's the end of the book, so we could talk about it. And the book was set up as a tournament set up by Necro- Necroton, who is this necromancer, took all these people from all across the universe into a tag team professional wrestling tournament, Problem is, on Earth, that's the only place where professional wrestling is a work. Um, we are lead characters, uh, Steel Sun and Cobra Rose. Uh, find out halfway through the book, the one character, um, Steel Sun is, uh, or I'm sorry, Steel Rose, Cobra Sun, uh, Cobra Sun is masked. And then halfway through the series, Steel Rose finds out that Cobra Sun is her dad who had the match with the mom who passed away at the beginning of the story. Their whole thing is they've been promised if they win the tournament, they get anything they want. They both want to have their mom and their wife back. They lose the tournament, but the team that wins the tournament turns on each other, ends up killing each other. So they are gifted with the prize, but it turns out, wouldn't you know who won the pony? Uh, Necroton may have lied about his ability (laughs) to do this. Um, But... Uh, if they win one more match, and they can probably convince the person they wrestle to bring this uh, this dream of theirs to life, and the person that they have to wrestle is God. Oh boy! Right. Oh boy! Right. Didn't didn't Vince wrestle him once? Uh, Vince and Shane. Uh, God was actually Shawn Michaels' tag team partner. Uh, oh, I thought it was a handicap match for a second, but anyway, it did not work out the same way that you had thought it would. 
Um, this is a book with lots of wrestling. Daniel Warren Johnson is a wrestling fan, so he draws wrestling very big, very in-your-face, very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really awesome. I will say, of course, God's finisher uh, is the crucifix bomb. Oh, boy. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Um, not to give too much away uh, in this, but there's two really big uh, emotional moments in the book. One, obviously, if you've been following the characters, um, how everything ends up working out for them. And then another one I only say is big um, because it's I, and I'm going to I'm going to talk about it. And it's the opening panel of the book. Um, we see our commentator for this match that's taking place in heaven and he says "Welp, here we are folks and none other than the gates of heaven and you know what that means and the commentator looks like Brody Lee and I'm talking I read it and I got chills and I'm talking about it now and I got chills um I don't you know I don't know if his family knows like it's not like explicitly John but it's supposed to be John Um, And I really thought that was like a really nice touching tribute there of someone who's a wrestling fan to work that into the book. Um, But there's a great, there's been a great series and uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping these characters come back in any way that they can. And uh, you know, um, I'll be following Daniel Warren Johnson to see what he's up to next after this. Right. I thought the uh, God's finisher would have been like the seven plagues or something like no. that. But that's really, that's really, really cool. And, and like, uh, honestly, like the, the Brody Lee thing, that is like, that is really cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not, you know, the wrestling guy you are, but I get it. And especially like, you know, you knew him and everything like that. But I, I honestly think that's really cool when you can pay a little homage to somebody uh, like that. You should probably send some copies off. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, once things get a little less hectic, um, I'll probably reach out to who I can reach out to and let them know. Right. Yeah. I'm sure you know a guy who knows a guy. I know a couple guys right. and gals. Yeah. So just it's the holidays. They might be busy, you know? No, I get you. I get you. You got to carve that turkey first. Yeah. So uh, the last book, uh, something that we both read, uh, and that was Batman 130. Uh, written by Chip Zdarsky with art by uh, Jorge Jimenez. And uh, this is the final battle between Batman and Failsafe. Yep. And uh, we get two bits that we could talk about uh, that happened in the book. Uh, one is that Batman programmed Failsafe to be him and to be able to take him down but not to be able to take down Batman and Robin together. And that was a great moment in the book. Oh, I marked out so hard for that, especially when they run down the differences between Batman and certain Robins. Yes. It was great. Really good stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we go back to the Grant Morrison era of JLA, and that was kind of the beginning of Batman could beat everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they've kind of pared it back a little bit over the last couple of years, especially now with this current run by Chip Zdarsky, the current place of Batman in the DC universe, where he doesn't have the same riches that he had before. He doesn't have the same resources that he has before. He's kind of working from underneath, if you will. Um, but the first half of this book is Batman trying to figure out 
and essentially thinking aloud um, how he's going to be able to survive falling from the moon to Earth. Mm-hmm. And he does. <laughs> okay. Between- and it's so over-the-top ridiculous, it comes back around to being great. Um, it's the weakest part of the book for me. I loved it. I thought okay. it was so... I thought it was so over the top and so ridiculous. I'm like, the more ridiculous it got, the better. Like, here's the thing. Chip Zdarsky, and don't get me wrong. I, I We're discussing a book, you know what I mean? And I don't want to tear it down because everything else was amazing. When Superman shows up and, like, Superman's got like got to get around the kryptonite that uh, Failsafe has. Like, he writes Superman so well. He writes all the other characters. But I was like... There comes a point, like, this isn't Batman fighting a god the way, you know, uh, the way uh, Snyder, Scott Snyder had him doing it. But I was still like, he survived the trip from the moon to Earth to re-entry. And I was like, bit much. I was like, this, I checked out on that, and then I came back to everything else, if that makes any sense. Just was too much for me, but everything else, I love this storyline so far. Um, yeah, and again, you know, we have to just kind of uh, tread lightly there, you know, right. in regards to what happens in the end. Yeah, we'll see, because I don't, I think maybe they might be, I don't know, it's interesting. There's something about the last panel that I don't understand, so. Yeah. The last page, but anyway. Um, yeah, again, I don't want to give spoilers away, you know? Oh, I got you. I got you. But there's something we'll talk about later. So for sure. Um, but I like this. Um, I, I like the dusting of silliness with, uh, you know, Batman surviving reentry. Yeah. Reentry. I thought that was good stuff. Fair enough. So that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Mm-hmm. If you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the pull post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is you get your books, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Todd is currently in the lead over me with four correct guesses mm-hmm. and with uh, three weeks left in the calendar year. I think he's got it. But by how much is the question? Yeah. Um, so I'm looking over at your huge list this week, Joe. Uh, is the book you're looking forward to Superman, Son of Kal-El, number 18? I'm... No, it's not. Yeah, I don't know what else it could be, but OK, go ahead. OK. So the book I'm most looking forward to coming out this week is Amazing Spider-Man number 15. Okay. Okay. Um, I'll get into my discussion about Superman Son of Kal-El number 18, uh, which I think is the book that you're most looking forward to coming out this week. Yep. You're closing the gap, Joe. Okay. So here's the issue with these two books. Okay. Superman Son of Kal-El number 18 is in the midst of the Return of Kal-El storyline. Okay. Right. Which I'm not reading all of. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 15 is in the middle of the Dark Web crossover. Which you're not which reading I'm not reading of. everything of either. Okay? All right. Fair enough. But of the two things that I'm reading, 
that are in the middle of crossovers that I'm not reading everything from the crossovers from, I feel as though I'm keeping up with what's going on in Amazing Spider-Man better than I am in Superman Son of Kal-El. Okay, fair enough. Because I'm looking at everything else, and I'm like, Love Everlasting is either a, the end of the series or a gap between the minis. So Right. And I think I'm tapping out on Love Everlasting after five. Um. Okay. Well. Um. It's supposed to be like poetry because it rhymes. Mm-hmm. But after issue three, I felt as though we got like a big pivotal plot point. And then issue four just regressed back to where we were with issues one and two. Yep, that's kind of why I'm like, I'm, I kind of barely, I just skimmed, you know what I mean? Right, like, and I'm uh, like, I'm with you, I'm following this. I liked issue three a lot, but we're going to see how they kind of wrap up this storyline. They could stick the landing with issue five, and I'm like, oh, okay, I get why they did what they did in issue four, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but this, at least now, the way that I'm reading it, feels like a book that would read better serial like not serialized like in a monthly or whatever that right. if it was one collected thing and you read the whole thing in one shot i think it would flow better let's put it this way i'm with you on all of that uh, but it's so like with 4 it made me not want to read anymore where i almost am just getting 5 cuz i have it pre-ordered and i might just put it in a box without reading it Okay, Uh, because of the fact, like you said, it regressed and then all the love stories where they actually do like the homages to and I've said this, which was my problem with issue one was that when they do the homages to old romance comics, old romance comics are very, very bad. So when they're doing that part of the comic, I'm like, this is so why do I want to read a bad book at times? You know what I mean? So uh, it's just like it's like almost the perfect storm of me not enjoying it. Right. Well, uh, so that's the thing. You know, you got the bit in issue three with the librarian and that the librarian was the girl at the library's father's original love. Mm -hmm. And and she left. And then when she came back and then the whole thing that uh, the father was still infatuated with the librarian. And when they had the first daughter, they named the daughter after her. Right. Right. And then when the boyfriend who's been suspicious of the librarian the whole time, we get his reveal. I'm like, ooh, okay. We got, like, we're cooking with fire now, man. And then issue four was just like, here's your, like, same old, same old romance stories with no punch, no twist, no nothing. Yeah, I'm with you, so. Yeah. We'll see. We're talking spoilers about books that are, like, two, three months old, so it's okay. No, I'm with you, but it's also, like, I'm saying... You kind of lost me now, even with one issue left. So I don't know. I have to double check the spreadsheet. I think it's the end of the series and then they're going to pick up later down the road, but we'll see if I pick it up later down the road. Right. Yeah. You see how they stick the landing and whatnot, but it is a small week for both of us. Right. Small, a rare, small week for both of us. I like seeing that. That makes me feel good. Uh, So, Hey, speaking of almost the end of things, Todd, it's almost the end of the football season. A few more weeks. And, uh, you know, the standings and the pigskin pickums. I'm just saying, I went up one place and you went down two. 
Yep, uh, that made me genuinely nervous, Joe. Yeah, Todd. Uh, and you know what? That Adams, that dastardly Adams ahead of me, I got to get in front of him too. So I don't, I don't know who that is, but I'm worried about you. I'll, listen, I'll say it again. If you call yourself a football fan and you watch the games every week and you take the time to make your picks and I'm beating you, you should no longer be a football fan. We'll or, welcome you over to the world of professional wrestling. Well, you could take your welcome and you. Oh, that's right. This is the clean show. Um, okay. I'm just going to say at some point, you know, when it's late in the season, you got to take risks to see if you can get ahead. And sometimes those risks don't pay off. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'd be coasting, Joe. Sure. That's that's what's going on. Yep. 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 So uh, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, of course, uh, be sure to check out information in regards to. Todd and Joe have issues, a.k.a. Todd and Joe go rogue, a.k.a. the silver standard, a.k.a. the battle for second place. We are almost at the end, Todd. Oh, the Spider-Man final has been decided. Right. And I will say in a shocker, moving on to the finals to represent Spider-Man Mort Villum Dumb and to see if we could officially say Spider-Man has the second best rogues gallery in all of comics because we all know the Flash is the best is Alosha Craven, a.k.a. Craven number two, a.k.a. the one who goes off to be a movie producer. He's our representative. So, Todd, mm-hmm. we only got one more bat on bat matchup to go. That's right. And we're down to two uh, characters. One is the Maid of Wood Killer 2, who's a man who inherited his grandfather's bat, which was actually Sportsmaster's bat. And he has, you know, a dirty t-shirt and a trucker's cap. Um, so that makes you one of the greatest villains of all time. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and or Blue Bowman slash the Signalman. Uh, the Signalman is, is someone who is inspired by the bat signal and decided to make his gimmick all things signal, which is as stupid as stupid could be. And uh, after a bit, he decided to steal uh, Green Arrow's gimmick for a little bit and became the Blue Bowman. But uh, two stupid, terrible ideas um, all rolled into one. I'm almost not sure who I should back because either one is way, way lamer than uh, uh, Elijah Wood or what's his name? Alosha Craven. Right, not Elijah Wood. So I will just say this. I think Alosha Craven has it against these two schmucks. Mm -hmm. You have a Batman villain that couldn't cut it as a a Golden Age Green Lantern villain. And you have a Batman villain that couldn't cut it as a Green Arrow villain. They ain't going to be able to cut it representing the morts of the Bat villain universe. Right. I disagree, but what are you going to do? We that's will. what the point of this is. So That's right. It's all about the disagreement. Yes. Right. So so we'll have the voting for that up. Uh, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out our store. You can get shirts and pins and stickers with uh, our fancy logo on it. If you want even more stuff, depends on when you're listening to this. Uh, T Public is having a sale that goes until noon Eastern time. 35% off. They claim that's the cutoff to get stuff in time for Christmas, 
So I don't know what's going on. T Public's been running fast and loose for the last month. But uh, anytime that I can mention a sale going on over there, I absolutely will. You could also sign up for our Patreon. As little as a dollar a month is going to give you two bonus shows from Todd and myself. One uh, discussing 30 years ago this month's previews catalog. Uh, I made a mistake on After Dark, and I said that uh, December 92 is going out this week for the $5 and up people. It's already out for the $5 and up people. This is what happens when we record on different days and they get released. Right, and then you make fun of me when I'm confused. I do make fun of you when you get confused, because I make fun of myself when I get confused. That's right. Um, well, at least I have a flash drive full of stuff in my hand, so. Yes, well, let's see if let's see if your hand makes it to the comic book shop tomorrow. <laughs> Who do you think I am, Luke Skywalker? No. A lot could happen between now and 5.30 Wednesday. True. So, uh, the other one is a movie show. We just wrapped up Piro Mounties, looking at the films of independent filmmaker Mark Piro. Uh, I think the last of those just went up. Um, for everyone, whether you're at the dollar level or the $5 level, the $5 level, like I said, gets all this stuff two weeks before everyone else. And you also get Longbox Heroes After Dark two days before everyone else, so that you can listen to these shows in the correct listening order for a tease. You could find out what's going on with Todd's van. Ooh, big news, maybe, maybe not. Breaking news, would you say, Todd? Mm, breaking the windows news. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. And then this Friday, we got a special bonus show going out to everyone. No matter right. where it is that you have the feed, if you listen on the After Dark feed, if you listen on this this show, the main feed, if you um, are a patron and you have that RSS feed, you're not going to miss out on the bonus show that we have going out this Friday for everyone. Uh, right. Something that Todd and I are very excited about. Yep. Uh, so we have that. Of course, you can also help us out by making any and all of your purchases through our Amazon affiliate link. It's the banner at the top of the page over at longboxheroes.com. Uh, it's also in the show notes to every single one of these episodes, no matter where it is that you get these episodes. Does not cost you anything extra. They, Amazon, call it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the money. Yeah. Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week include a My Hero Academia uh, cosplay hoodie. Ooh. Uh, somebody also purchased uh, smart LED light bulbs. <laughs> uh, my kid has, like, the the LED lights around his room and he can control them from an app on his phone. Ooh, I bet you're jealous. Science is amazing. I'll tell you that much. You know how I control my lights through a switch, with, with not a the switch. game switch on the wall. Uh light switch. <laughs> uh, somebody also purchased uh jujitsu university, the Kindle edition. Ooh. And somebody also purchased a uh, coffee table book. Of Golden Age Halloween postcards. That's interesting. That's a real cool item. I was, uh, they have a couple previews of it. Um, I could thank the person directly because I, I, I'd bet money I know who purchased it, but yes, um, at least they're not purchasing things that are pictured next to two liter bottles of soda to show for size. Oh my god. <laughs> I do like two liter bottles of soda, but anyway, um, 
And finally, we have uh, someone hooked up their Amazon uh, Comicsology, our Amazon click through. And these are some of the comics that they bought. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, 135. I can't believe it's that. It's gone on that long. Um, also, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Armageddon game. And finally, uh, issue one of the new Gargoyles uh, comic, which is, I guess, a continuation of that really cool cartoon, man. Yeah. Which I almost kind of want to read, but. Well, I I know um, it's being published through Dynamite, which is weird to see um, a Disney property um, elsewhere. But, you know, that's just how things go. It was a huge launch. It sold great, like first order, like first issue order numbers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know either the interiors or some of the covers uh, were done by Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti. Um, kind of like really neat because that was some of the earlier stuff that they worked on at Marvel back in the 90s when Marvel had the Gargoyles license before yep. Disney had Marvel, you know? Yep. Uh, so that's really cool. Um, I never, I think I was, I never watched the Gargoyles cartoon. I watched it. I will say I didn't watch it all the way. Um, but when I watched it, it was really, it was, you know, the best way to describe it. I felt like it was like a spiritual cousin, like the feel of it, not like of Batman, the animated series. Yeah. I definitely got that vibe, you know, you know, that vibe being good, (laughs) right? Yeah, the vibe being good, which was a rarity at the time, you know? Exactly. So Batman the animated sti- Batman the Animated Series made a lot of people step up their game in lots of lots of ways. It did, definitely did. For sure. So uh thanks to anyone and everyone who made purchases for the Amazon affiliate link, whether it be this week, this month, this year, this whenever. Uh it's always greatly appreciated. Yep. So now, Todd, finally and sadly, it's time to discuss the series finale of Stargirl. I sigh loudly. So, uh, I got a lot of notes. Okay, go ahead. I could go through the whole thing, right? So, we get a bit at the beginning where it says uh, it's nine months ago from what we're watching, right? Mm -hmm. And we see Icicle and uh, the Dragon King exhuming the body of Joel McHale, unless right. we're going to say uh, Star Boy, Star Man, Sylvester Pemberton. It's Joel McHale, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have him strapped down to a gurney, and Icicle is like, he, he lays out the plan that we find found out in the previous episode, that we have the ultra-humanite, we're going to put Dragon King's brain inside the ultra-humanite, we're going to put ultra humanites brain inside of you because everyone loves you if you wanted to run for president you would probably become president that's how loved you are and Mm -hmm. we need you to be the face of our evil plan right the face the face and then uh joel McHale asks aloud well what are you gonna do with my brain right more on that later right Mm mm-hmm um, so then we come back to present day and we have all of our JSA kids together and they're all lamenting as to why, uh, Joel McHale would give them all this bad advice to tell Beth to not trust her parents, to pe- tell Mike to go out on his own, uh, to put the doubt into Courtney's mind in regards to her relationship with the staff. 
And it's because he was purposely doing this. And this is when they all kind of work together and kind of figure out that something's up. Right. That Joel McHale has been against them. Now, I don't think they know just yet that nope, there's been the mind swap. Right. Because the only one that knows is Pat. Uh, Pat, who we find out later, is digging his way out of a six-foot grave. Right, because he dislocated his thumbs. Right, in the in something that Joel McHale had taught him years ago. And that's the one last way that the actual Joel McHale was able to help him from all of this, right? Right. So we then cut to the Icicle family house. Uh, we we got the Icicle, we got the grandparent Icicles, and we got uh, Icicle Jr. Mm-hmm. And main Icicle is still lying to everybody. In right. regards to what the plan is, he's still trying to babyface everyone, right? No, he's not trying to babyface the grandparents. You, you think the grandparents? I definitely. So he's definitely lying to the son, right? Because at one point he's talking to the son. He's like, "Oh, Courtney, this and that. We got to get him on board. You know, we got to do this." And the grandfather says in his own language, you know, the language Cameron doesn't understand. Stop lying to the boy. And okay. the, gra- the grandmother says, shut up, old man. We're doing this kind of a deal. Now, if that's not the exact words. And at this point, at this point, even I'm like, Cameron, if you don't understand, these people are all evil. Um, why are they talking in a f- different language that they know you don't understand when they all speak English? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, if I was Cameron, I would be insulted. Because it's like, really? Like, my whole life, you've been doing this. You've been talking... T- near me in a different language like i'm a child i that was the one thing i was like and i think that pushes cameron even though he wants to help his father part of that is like maybe they were lying you know what i mean right so i'll I'll give this and say that cameron was probably hand waving this because he was just happy to have his dad back yeah but it doesn't make him an endearing or likable character that we want to see succeed no Uh, so they all get together at the junkyard and this is where it all comes out because as mentioned, Pat had dug himself out of the grave. He goes back and he shows up in stripe and that's when what in a, in a pot, I pop whenever that shows up with the revving engine. Yeah. Oh my God. Stripes. The robot is the best Joe. Right. So then that's when Joel McHale like drops the facade and he just like, becomes all evil and then we get a whole bunch of little battles between everyone we get cindy against her dad is the ultra humanite we get stripe and joel McHale. we get icicle and icicle in court uh we have icicle jr and our man mixing it up we got beth versus the 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 grandparent icicles right and when beth puts her combat mode on the combat mode tells her that the grandfather is hesitating right which is great because throughout the season they were showing that the goggles would do that yeah it would show like joe McHale agitated you know blah 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 sad and i was like he's like he's apprehensive and she's like i don't want to fight you and i love when the grandfather goes oh good you know what i mean he's like i've already had a heart attack and everything so really cool scene so so what happens is like so she sees that the grandfather's hesitating, so she attempts to reason with the grandfather. Uh, the grandmother is like, ah, oh, you doddering old man, if you won't do it, I'm just going to kill you. Uh, 
uh, Yolanda shows up, Wildcat, to try to stop her from killing the old man. The grandmother shoots up at Yolanda, and that causes a car to come crashing down and kill the grandma. Right. Uh, So then uh, we get the bit where Ultra Humanite has the... like. He he has Cindy over the like over a barrel. He's really beating her down. Can't stop it. Anything like that. And then Jakeem finally gets a wish right, right? Because he believes in it. He believes in it, right? And this right. is like, like a great moment for him. And he says that he wants to stop the Ultra Humanite from de- from defeating, destroying whatever the most beautiful girl in the world, right? And Mike's like, that's too vague. And he's like, no, it's not. Because it's I believe it. It's Cindy. And they end up turning the ultra-humanite into like a little plush monkey. Right. I love it because he's like, it's from the heart. Finally, he's doing stuff from the heart. And technically, the ultra-humanite was her father. So um, that was the deal. I like the fact, the way all these battles team up with the people who've kind of had their beef all season, if that makes yes. any sense. Which was kind of why, when you said last week, I didn't think Solomon Grundy was going to show up because, at, like in the fight because everybody had their fight picked out, if that makes any sense. Right, and I ended up being wrong, and we get the Solomon Grundy... At the CGI end. hand reveal at the end, whatever. That sucked. What? It looked great. Oh, my God. My my thought process was is we need to have two giant CGI monsters smashing up against each other, you know? That's twice the budget, Joe. All right. Anyway. But you know what? I will say the fight looked really good. Like the scene where Stripes throws the car at Joel McHale and they steal the bit where he spins the wand and cuts it in half like uh, Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness. Um, (laughs) Either way, I was like, don't matter. It looks way too cool. And the scene when... Um, because they say early on, they're like, well, maybe Artemis will show up, Sports Matters daughter. Because, you know, she just shows up at the right moment. And, uh, you know, so we're expecting her. And... uh, what is it? Joe McHale's going to like hurt Pat because he's got him on the ground and the arrow sticks in his shoulder. Yeah. And you think it's Artemis. I popped hard when it turned out to be Barbara. Yep. Because Artemis's mom, Tiger, showed her how to fight with the thing. I was like, this is Jeff Johns at his best. Yeah. Because like, he wrote this episode. I was like, where is this on Flashpoint Batman and, and beyond and like everything else that I'm reading? Like, this is the hope. And, like, coming together that I absolutely love. And everything about this episode was pretty much perfect. You know what I mean? This is is the payoff stuff. This is the stuff that they've been building up over the last, like, season or two seasons and stuff. Where, like, little throwaway things that you just think is like, oh, there's a bonding moment between these two characters. Or this is just a pithy moment for these two characters. All gets paid off in this last episode. Right. With some small things that they wrap up, like they hand wave it away. Like here's things that they probably re-recorded, like Yolanda calling her mother really quick. Yeah. To say, I'm going to tell you the truth. Like if we had gotten season four, that would have played out in season four. 
Um, and I think the Solomon Grundy, I think the hand was going to happen, but it was going to happen different because he would have been, you know, in season four. Um, and I'm trying to think what else. Um, Joel McHale's brain in season four would have been like a plot line. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, because in the end, like they beat the ultra humanite in uh, Joel McHale's body, but the body, the brain is dead, but the body's alive. So they leave him in a coma, seeing if they could find the brain because they've lied to him about everything else. Why they said they threw away the brain, and we see the brain in the most horrific moment of the show. They have him hooked up to like that 1950s brain in a jar thing, and he's reliving the last moment of his life over and over again of them cutting his head off, and I'm like. That's truly creepy. You know what I mean? Um, and luckily the the brain jar was labeled right. Joel McHale because I'm sure it was in a room with dozens of other brains. Right. You don't want right. to get them mixed up, you know? Right. They don't want to put the Abby normal brain in Sylvester Pemberton's body. Right. Well, we, and we missed how they defeat, you know, Joel gets the arrow from the crossbow in the shoulder, but Courtney is able to wrest the staff back from Joel McHale because you know her parents are her parents are there together, and they're like the only reason he was able to do, use the staff is because you believe that he could, right? That you're not worthy and he is, right? You need to believe that you're worthy enough to use the staff, and she does. She wrests the staff from him, and that's how they're able to defeat Joel McHale, right? Right. Yep. So then, like the the villains are defeated. Um, Icicle Junior is like. Listen, my dad is dissipated again. I'm sure we should have kind of tried to collect his pieces and make sure this doesn't happen again. Um, grandma's dead. Grandpa's pretty beaten up. I'm out of here, right? I'm leaving. Okay? Yep. Show's only half over. We still got, like, another, like, 20 minutes left to go, right? Yeah, I got all these, like, like and this is where they, dang, like, they fix the Yolanda, you know what I mean? And, like, all the dangling plot lines, but go ahead. Right. So, um, you know, you had mentioned before that they uh the the ultra humanite brain has a brain bleed so that brain is essentially gone but joel's body is okay they're going to try to find joel's brain in the jar in the castle replaying his final moments over and over again the staff decides it's going to stay in the fancy crate that's in the basement i love um, that pat t tells the story that he was able to dig himself out of a 6 foot grave because he disjoined his thumbs and it rained, so it made the dirt loose. So Sure. Mike gets to have the moment with his birth mom. Alicia Witt, looking good. Right, which I thought was a great moment. Mm -hmm. uh, Courtney gets to deliver the letters from the gambler to the gambler's daughters. Yes, I have a note here on that. Okay. One of my favorite things is she gives the note, and she's like, your father really loved you really really loved you and didn't want you to think that he abandoned you and she goes oh well thank you and she gives her the hug and courtney walks away and she goes to grab her necklace she grabs her throat which goes back to the scene where her dirtbag father right showed up to take the necklace she looks down she gets really sad because she realized that her father never loved her and just wanted the necklace and abandoned her and then she goes home and during the thumb talk about dislocating the thumb she ends up talking to pat about how she heard all the stuff upstairs with sylvester like running him down and uh he heard that and then all the stuff about and she ends up calling him dad kind of a deal and that comes full circle 
Do you know what I mean? Like all that stuff. I'm like, that's really, really good too. Right. Then Beth gets the moment where she apologizes to her parents mm-hmm. and lets her parents be part of the team. Uh, the parents give themselves code names of Night Light and Hootie. Right. I'm surprised you, it wasn't Hootie and the Blowfish would have been good. But anyway. Right. They don't want to get sued. Right. Um, and that's where we get the moment where Yolanda calls her mom. And you're right when you say, like, the bit with Yolanda calling her mom, the bit with um, our man with the CGI Solomon Grundy hand, those definitely feel like pickup shots mm-hmm. that were done with just those characters because nobody else is around when those shots happen. Right, because there's a shot where Barbara's in the background with Yolanda, and then she walks through the scene. It's like, all right, now she's gone. Yeah. Now we could green screen the house behind them. So Right. So then we get a flash that says three months later in Denmark. Mm-hmm. And we see the icicle just walking through the streets randomly. And then somebody from a dark alley says, Icicle! Icicle! So, of course, he has to go investigate it. As you do. As you do. And then he walks into a pile of sticky goo. Right. And we see Artemis up in the shadows. She's the new sportsmaster. She's like, oh, this is a polymer that my dad used in his hockey pucks. Um, and now put skates on your face and skate. Oh, no, wait, that's if her dad was Don Rickles. That's what you would have said. <laughs> right. um, but, like, there's all this flammable stuff in there. And she's like, I'm not taking any chances. And she burns the icicle alive. <laughs> what a heartwarming scene, literally, Joe. Yes. Um, and that was one of those scenes where I was watching closely to see where the fire suit effect and the CGI began and end, and they did a really good job on that, right? Joe, I thought uh, the things you were noticing and you didn't mention, unless it's in your notes, is the fact when Artemis takes the mask off and she doesn't have one color of eye black, but three colors of eye black. That was okay. I was like, I was waiting for Joe to be like, it was my dream. It was all different color eye blacks. It was rainbow eye black. When they did the shot of her wearing the Sportsmaster mask, Mm -hmm. and because she had the eye black on underneath with the mask on, uh, it really popped her eyes, you know? Yes, it did. It looked really good. Yeah. And then, like, in the lamest thing is, like, uh, Courtney goes to Cameron and they resolve everything. Yeah, and that's, I don't, I don't even have that in my notes. It's like. Right, but that would have definitely been a season four resolution. No, that, okay, so that would have been our season three cliffhanger. Right, that's what I mean. They would have got together at the end of four, you know, or season four, you know what I mean? Well, no, no, so this bit, like. We wouldn't have got the Hour Man thing with Grundy. We wouldn't have got Yolanda. But we absolutely would have gotten the thing of, like, there's still a chance for Courtney and Cameron. Okay. That's my opinion. Right. Like, I I think they would have. But I personally think they would have let it hang into next season. Okay. But, uh, and then, uh, the end end? Is there anything else besides that? No, go to the end end. Right. So, what is it? Ten years later? Ten years later. And in and in the the the, the brownstone, the the headquarters of JSA, Shade is giving the tour of it, and he's like, you know, and he ends up saying like, oh, this is what's going gone on, Star Woman. So it's not Stargo anymore. Rick and Beth are getting married, and their nuptials will be next week. And they, he gives the rundown of like like the stuff that they fought, and they end up giving like 
you know, the first season they fought, you know, this and the second season, like Eclipso, and they beat the Ultra Humanite, you know, and many other things, which I think, you know, would have been what season four would have been. And then a portal opens and Shade says, no, no, not the table, uh, which I, I totally marked out at the Justice Society tale. Anytime I see that, I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. And Joe, the Flash, Jay Garrick, AK, you know, John Wesley ship runs in. He's like, I need the Justice Society, which now you're a part of, Shade. We have to go back and we have an emergency. And that's kind of the end is like, you know, we're going to we're going to do this. And I ended up reading some interviews like with Jeff Johns and, 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 uh, and like Berlanti and stuff like that, that the only thing that they reshot and like edited and uh, not reshot, but changed like dialogue and stuff for was that final scene. Flash was supposed to say who the big bad was. But they they said, like, we shot it so it could be ambivalent and it could be, you know, you could do anything with it. And he goes, and if there's ever, like, at some time down the future, he goes, I'm going to give you my synopsis of what season four would have been. But the fact that we got Jay Garrick and in the same episode, we got the two best uh, comic book props that have never been made into physical collectibles made my heart soar, Joe. The Jay Garrick helmet. And the... And the Star Girl, Star Man staff. Oh, the staff. I was gonna. Okay. I'll tell. No, it was the hockey pucks. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, hockey puck. But no, yeah. So anytime Jay shows up, I mark out. But it makes me sad. It makes me sad that he probably would have been part of season four, and now we yeah. don't get to see it. Uh, I did like all the different things in the JSA museum, like all the different experiences that you can go and do. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, we get that bit where Jay Garrick shows up and he tell, says, hey, Shade, we need your help to go do this. And then it comes up and it says, Todd, never the end. <gasps> oh, Todd. Yep. Be still my beating heart, you know? Right. So that's that, right? Another interview that they gave was that there was supposed to be a spinoff show from Stargirl. And it was literally supposed to be Infinity Inc. Okay. And it was going to be Shade, Jade, Obsidian, Sandy, and it would have been them putting a group together uh, to be Infinity Inc. Along with the mentor of that show, uh, the Shade was going to be spun off into that. And he was going to be like their leader. And maybe bring in some like Mr. Bones and those characters and stuff like that. And we were going to introduce more legacy characters. And then that, like they would interact with the star girl and stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm heartbroken, Joe. Yeah. I would have loved that. I would have loved that. Absolutely. So, but I think it was a really solid ending to a great, uh, like a great show. Yeah, definitely an underrated show. Star girl was really good. Um, you know, there might have been like a misstep here or there, some dodgy special effects notwithstanding, but it's a TV show. But I would say overall for all four seasons, this is definitely a show. Um, you know, if you're a fan of DC Comics and you're a fan of the legacy character stuff, um, you know, we mentioned here, you know, the JSA, the uh, Infinity Inc, all this sort of stuff, it's all in here, you know, and it's presented in a way on TV that they're just, like, talking as though, like, oh, everyone watching this knows exactly who this is. We're not going to slow down and explain everything to you, you know? Yep, yep. But if you know more, it's more interesting, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. You know? So. 
You never know. I like to hold out hope, Joe. We could yeah, listen. There could be more. Who knows? But not right now, sadly. Right. So I think that's it, right? I think that is everything. Right, and we got no TV or movies for like almost two months. I know it'll be a break. Now you could go do a, a hundred podcasts, Joe. No, if you no, have a no, podcast no. and you want Joe on, all you have to do is ask, and he'll be on it from here for the next two months. If you contact me through this show, I'm only plugging this show on that podcast, though. There you go. No other shows. Um, no, it'll give us more time to read more comic books, you know? Good, good. Unless, like, you decide, like, there's something you want to watch, you know? I haven't seen anything. I haven't yeah. seen anything, so. All right, good. We deserve a break. You know, we've worked so hard. We have. My shoulders hurt from hold- from holding up this show, Joe. My goodness. A modern-day Atlas you are, you know? That's right. Yeah. All right, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Uh, this was episode 636 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Listening to the soon to be named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks.